European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 43, Issue 7, Focus Issue, Valvular Heart Disease, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. A Comprehensive Update on Valvular Heart Disease, From Mechanisms to Guidelines. This focus issue on valvular heart disease, or VHD, contains the 2021 ESC-EACTS guidelines for the management of valvular heart disease, developed by the Task Force for the Management of Valvular Heart Disease of the European Society of Cardiology, or ESC, and the European Association of Cardiothoracic Surgery, or EACTS, by Alex Verhanian and colleagues from the ESC-EACTS Scientific Document Group. Since the publication of the previous version of the guidelines on the management of VHD in 2017, new evidence has accumulated, particularly regarding non-pharmacological interventions. For the choice of mode of intervention, current evidence reinforces the critical role of the heart team, which should integrate clinical, anatomical and procedural characteristics beyond conventional scores and informed patients' treatment choice. Regarding surgery, increasing experience and procedural safety has led to expansion of indications towards early intervention in asymptomatic patients with aortic stenosis, aortic regurgitation, or mitral regurgitation, or MR, and now stress the preference for valve repair when it is expected to be durable. A particular emphasis is put on the need for more comprehensive evaluation and early surgery in tricuspid regurgitation, or TR. Concerning transcatheter aortic valve implantation, or TAVI, new information from randomized studies comparing TAVI versus surgery in low-risk patients with a follow-up of up to two years has led to a need to clarify which types of patients should be considered for each mode of intervention. Transcatheter edge-to-edge -edge repair, or TIR, is increasingly used in severe MR and has been evaluated against optimal medical therapy resulting in an upgrade of the recommendation. The larger number of studies on transcatheter valve-in-valve -valve implantation after failure of surgical bioprosthesis served as a basis to upgrade its indication. Finally, the encouraging preliminary experience with transcatheter tricuspid valve interventions, or TTVIs, suggests a potential role for this treatment in inoperable patients although this needs to be confirmed by further evaluation. In The Year in Cardiovascular Medicine 2021, Valvular Heart Disease, Helmut Baumgartner from the University Hospital Münster in Germany and colleagues point out that the increasing burden of VHD, in particular in an aging population, is recognized by medical experts, although there is less awareness of these conditions by the general public and relevant stakeholders. Together with emerging non-surgical interventional treatment options, this has led to intense research interest in VHD, with an enormous number of publications during the last year. Many of these publications addressed interventional treatment, including technical refinements and outcomes compared with surgery or medical therapy. In addition, attention has focused on pathophysiological aspects, improved diagnosis, risk stratification, and optimal timing for intervention. 
Importantly, new guidelines for the management of VHD have been published by both the ESC-EACTS and ACC-AHA. This contribution can neither address all changes in the guidelines nor acknowledge all appreciable research efforts over this year. The authors have therefore selected a few papers as examples that reflect the breadth of ongoing research, with the expectation that interested readers will find additional articles using online searches. Severe MR following acute myocardial infarction, or MI, is associated with high mortality rates and has inconclusive recommendations in clinical guidelines. Most of these patients are deemed as high risk for mitral valve surgery or even considered inoperable and thus are managed conservatively with grim prognosis. Until recently, the only possible intervention targeting MR was surgery. However, in this setting, it is associated with high mortality rates early after MI, reaching 25%. In a clinical research article entitled Conservative Surgical and Percutaneous Treatment for Mitral Regurgitation Shortly After Acute Myocardial Infarction, Dan Haberman and colleagues from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in Israel aim to report the international experience of patients with secondary MR following acute MI and compare the outcomes of those treated conservatively, surgically and percutaneously. They base their analysis on a retrospective international registry of consecutive patients with at least moderate to severe MR following MI, treated in 21 centres in North America, Europe and the Middle East. The registry included patients treated conservatively and those having surgical mitral valve repair or replacement, or SMVR, or percutaneous mitral valve repair, or PMVR, using edge-to-edge -edge repair. The primary endpoint was in-hospital mortality. A total of 471 patients were included, 43% female, aged 73, plus or minus 11 years. 205 underwent interventions, of which 106 were SMVR and 99 PMVR. Patients who underwent mitral valve intervention were in a worse clinical state, KILIP class greater than or equal to 3 in 60% versus 43%, P being less than 0.01, but yet had lower in-hospital and one-year mortality compared with those treated conservatively, 11% versus 27%, P being less than 0.01, and 16% versus 35%, P being less than 0.01. Surgical mitral valve repair or replacement was performed earlier than PMVR. The immediate procedural success did not differ between SMVR and PMVR, 92% versus 93%, P equaling 0.53. However, in-hospital and one-year mortality rates were significantly higher in SMVR than PMVR. 16% versus 6%, P equaling 0.03, and 31% versus 17%, P equaling 0.04. The authors conclude that early intervention may mitigate the poor prognosis associated with conservative therapy in patients with post-MI MR. Percutaneous mitral valve repair can serve as an alternative for surgery in reducing MR for high-risk patients. The article is accompanied by an editorial by Vince Chan, Benjamin Hibbert, and David Masika Zaitun from
from the University of Ottawa Heart Institute in Canada. Janatal conclude that the take-home message of this study is that mitral valve intervention, and more specifically PMVR, might be beneficial and should be considered in patients presenting with acute MI and 3-plus stroke 4-plus MR. The retrospective observational design of the study, the heterogeneous clinical presentation of the population enrolled, and the marked differences between the patients who were conservatively managed and those who underwent a mitral intervention, which could not be fully eliminated by any statistical methods, preclude a formal conclusion on the benefits of mitral valve intervention. Thus, the results of this study should only be seen as hypothesis-generating, and it is now time to design large multi-centre randomised control trials in well-defined populations and settings, with centralised evaluation of MR severity, MR mechanisms, and clinical endpoints to compare two strategies. Isolated tricuspid valve surgery, or ITVS, is considered to be a high-risk procedure, but in-hospital mortality is markedly variable. In a clinical research article entitled TriScore, a new risk score for in-hospital mortality prediction after isolated tricuspid valve surgery, Julian Dreyfus and colleagues from the Centre Cardiologique du Nord in Saint-Denis, France, sought to develop a dedicated risk score model to predict the outcome of patients after ITVS for severe TR. All consecutive adult patients who underwent ITVS for severe non-congenital TR at 12 French centres between 2007 and 2017 were included. The authors identified 466 patients, aged 60 plus or minus 16 years, 49% female, functional TR in 49%. In-hospital mortality was 10%. The authors derived and internally validated a scoring system to predict in-hospital mortality using multivariable logistic regression and bootstrapping with 1,000 resamples. The final risk score ranged from 0 to 12 points and comprised 8 parameters. Age, greater than or equal to 70 years, New York Heart Association Class 3 to 4, right-sided heart failure signs, daily dose of furosemide greater than or equal to 125 mg, glomerular filtration rate less than 30 mL per minute, elevated bilirubin left ventricular ejection fraction less than 60%, and moderate to severe right ventricular dysfunction. The mechanism of TR was not an independent predictor of outcome. Observed and predicted in-hospital mortality rates increased from 0 to 60% and from 1% to 65% respectively, as the score increased from 0 up to greater than or equal to 9 points. Apparent and bias-corrected areas under the receiver operating characteristic curves were 0.81 and 0.75 respectively, much higher than the logistic Euroscore 0.67 or Euroscore 2 0.63. The authors conclude by proposing TriScore as a dedicated risk score model based on eight easy-to-ascertain parameters to inform patients and physicians regarding the risk of ITVS and guide the clinical decision-making process of patients with severe TR, especially as transcatheter therapies are emerging, www.tri-score.com. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Antonio Colombo 
from the Humanitas University in Milan and Francesco Maizano from the Vita e Salute San Raphael University in Milan, Italy. The authors note that any risk score is designed on average outcomes and may not be reliable in the individual decision. Each patient is unique and subtle clinical differences may have a high impact on outcome. In addition, risk scores suffer from a limited amount of data. Both TriScore 6 and the STS risk model are based on patients operated on over a long span of years. In particular, the TriScore registry centres had a yearly rate of operations between 2 and 6 cases per centre. This underscores the scarcity of data as well as the upfront selection bias in the triage of patients. Under such circumstances, the role of the heart team becomes highly relevant. The expertise of different specialists should govern the decision between a conservative or an interventional approach and should also guide the following decisions surgery versus transcatheter interventions, replacement versus repair, and adjusting medical therapy. It's also important to keep in mind that current scores are designed for surgical procedures and should not be translated to transcatheter interventions. Transcatheter aortic valve replacement, or TAVAR, as an alternative to surgical aortic valve replacement, or SAVAR, has profoundly changed the management of patients with aortic valve stenosis, or AS. In a clinical research article entitled, Trends in Aortic Valve Replacement for Aortic Stenosis, a French nationwide study. Virginia Noyens and colleagues from the Centre Cardiologique du Nord in Saint-Denis, France, point out that large unbiased nationwide data regarding TAVAR implementation, impact on SAVAR, and their respective outcomes are scarce. Based on a French administrative hospital discharge database, the authors collected data on all consecutive aortic valve replacements, or AVRs, performed in France for AS between 2007 and 2019. 106,253 isolated SAVAR, or 49%, 46,514 combined SAVAR, or 21%, and 65,651 TAVAR, or 30%. The number of AVRs linearly increased between 2007 and 2019, P for trend less than 0.0001, due to a marked increase in TAVAR, P for trend less than 0.001, while SAVAR increased up to 2013 and then declined. The Charlson index decreased linearly for TAVAR, but in two steps for SAVAR 2011 and 2017. In hospital mortality rates for both SAVAR and TAVAR declined, both P for trend less than 0.0001 and were similarly lower for TAVAR than isolated SAVAR in patients 75 years or above in the previous three years, 2017 to 2019. Complication rates of TAVAR also declined, but permanent pacemaker rates remained high and length of stay substantial, 16.7% and median 6 days respectively in 2017 to 2019. Nguyen et al. conclude that the number of AVRs has doubled in a decade and TAVAR had become the dominant form of AVR in 2018. The improvement in patient profiles seem to have anticipated the demonstrated benefits of TAVAR in intermediate and low-risk patients. 
in patients 75 years or older, TAVAR should be considered as the first option. The authors also highlight two important areas for improvement, the high permanent pacemaker rates and the long length of stay even in the contemporary era. These results have major implications for clinical practice and policymakers. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Helmut Baumgartner from the University Hospital Münster in Germany. Baumgartner concludes with the comment that we should look with gratitude at the great success accomplished in the management of AS over recent decades, tremendous expansion of the number of patients that can be treated with markedly improved results for both Savar and Tavi, and stick with the heart team to develop it further. In a state-of-the-art review article entitled Alcific Aortic Valve Disease from Molecular and Cellular Mechanisms to Medical Therapy. Simon Krala from the University of Zurich in Switzerland and colleagues note that calcific aortic valve disease, or CAVD, is a highly prevalent condition that comprises a disease continuum ranging from microscopic changes to profound fibrocalcific leaflet remodeling, culminating in aortic stenosis, heart failure, and ultimately premature death. Traditional risk factors such as hypercholesterolemia and systolic hypertension are shared among atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and CAVD, yet the molecular and cellular mechanisms differ markedly. Statin-induced LDL cholesterol lowering, a remedy highly effective for secondary prevention of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, consistently failed to impact CAVD progression or to improve patient outcomes. However, recently completed Phase II trials provide hope that pharmaceutical tactics directed at other targets implicated in CAVD pathogenesis offer an avenue to alter the course of the disease non-invasively. Herein, the authors delineate key players of CAVD pathobiology, outline mechanisms that entail compromised endothelial barrier function and promote lipid homing, immune cell infiltration and deranged phosphocalcium metabolism that collectively perpetuate a pro-inflammatory stroke pro-osteogenic milieu in which valvular interstitial cells increasingly adopt myofibro stroke osteoblast-like properties, thereby fostering fibrocalcific leaflet remodeling and eventually resulting in left ventricular overflow obstruction. Krala et al. provide a glimpse into the most promising targets on the horizon including lipoprotein A, mineral-binding matrix GLA protein, soluble guanulate cyclase, dipeptidyl peptidase 4, as well as candidates involved in regulating phosphocalcium metabolism and valvular angiotensin II synthesis, and ultimately discuss their potential for a future therapy of this insidious disease. The issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, Reporting Data from Meta-Analysis, Snapshot of a Moving Target, Yusuf Ahmad from Yale University in the USA and colleagues comment on the recent editorial, Meta-Analyses of Moving Targets by Colin Berry from the University of Glasgow in the UK. Berry responds in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.